Hi, this is Jimmy, and you're listening to Stage Door Medium. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 17, Working with Blockages. This week, I'm joined by Broadway's biggest and kindest star, Tony Award winner, Stephanie J. Block. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Stage Door Medium. I could pinch myself with with our guests that we have today. Um, uh, there's so much to be said, and um, there are days where you where you just truly have to, to thank God for for how things have worked out for people that you get to meet. And today's a big one. Um, I would like to welcome the very incredible, talented, insanely talented Tony Award winner, Stephanie J. Block to the show. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you for being here. Hi, Jimmy. I'm happy to be here. How are you? Um, today's a really good day, actually. I got good sleep. The little one is in a good mood. We started <laughs> to introduce her to Sound of Music. So, you know, I'm hopeful. I'm tired. I mean, all you know, I think we all wake up with all the things, and then we yeah. have to decide which path we're taking. And I'm taking a, it's a good day. Beautiful. Julie Andrews Sound of Music or Audra McDonald Clips? <laughs> yeah. Oh, not anything against no. Audra. My gosh. Audra will have to be watched separately to enjoy. Correct. 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 A, different, a different introduction to the sound of music with Audra. But first things first, Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews. I remember every time I would fly to New York as a, as a teenager, it was always on JetBlue. And I remember because it's such a quick <laughs> flight, it's an hour, I would only get through like, like, like she was what, just like, just getting to the Von Trapp house. I'm like, damn it, I gotta go. <laughs> Well, speaking of sleep too, do you have a weighted blanket? I just got one and it's been a game changer. Isn't that something? I've been giving them out as Christmas gifts. I didn't get one for myself. I think it's because um, I literally put this sort of uh, pillow on my head, right? And then I've got a big thick comforter, which I love. And then my dog kind of sleeps on my chest. So I think I've got enough weight, but people are saying I pro- probably should get one. So They're great. They are, they are great. 10, 15 pounds. I think I've been getting people 15 pounds. It's got I have 15 or 20. This one was heavy. Wow. And immediately when I held it, I'm like, oh, I know what this is. So, um, it feels good. well, if, if, if you're watching at home and I'm, I'm going to just restate this because I'm assuming we've got some new viewers because of Stephanie today. Um, the point of this show is to sit down with Broadway artists and, um, that I've, that I've done readings for. And we really just sit back and discuss the parallels between our work, um, you know, we find some really cool talking points. So that's what we're doing today. Your credits are are incredible. I, I had to write them all down. And it's funny, I kept like screaming after each one. I'm like, oh, I forgot she did this and this and this. And um, so, gosh, uh, Stephanie made her Broadway debut in The Boy From Oz. And then she went on to do, well, Broadway Wicked, though you had been involved with Wicked for quite some time before that. Right. Pirate right. Queen, 9 to 5, Anything Goes, Drood, Falsettos, The Share Show, like... And, and that's just that's just Broadway. And then you're just an incredible human being and kind. So it's like you are the total package. So and I'm sure if people are watching right now, they already know your credits, but just to be safe. So um, and then it's funny, I was reading about you, your mom forged your birth certificate to get you into Disney. Is that that's true? <laughs> 
total truth. My sister had worked at Disneyland for um, two years prior. She had done the parades. She had done face characters. She had gone to Tokyo Disneyland and been Cinderella and Mary Poppins and Snow White. And so um, the summer rolled around where I wasn't yet 16. I was going to be 16 in September. But you start rehearsals for the summer parade like May, you know, April yeah. and May, and you audition even before that. And she's like, what are we going to do with you this summer? Because my dad and her had full-time jobs. My sister was going to go off and assumedly do the parades at Disneyland. So she just made sure that um, she made a copy of my birth certificate. Back in the day, you could do like a little whiteout, an old-timey typewriter, right, that goes in there. And so my live certificate of birth aged me up a year so that I could... <laughs> audition for the Disneyland parade. <laughs> so you answered it because I was wondering, I'm like, how? Because I remember when I was in college, you know, you could, you could fake your licenses, but now, you know, it's, it's more difficult. And I'm like, how did right. she do that? So you yeah, explained she didn't, it. She didn't do anything to the original document, but full on forgery. <laughs> but it, it paid off though. I mean, oh, I mean, sure. Sure. Being five for the pig for a summer really started my work ethic. And I knew from that, that my uh, narrative was going to always be start from the ground up. Like I was always going to have to work for what I wanted. Cause I thought for sure, my sister was a princess in all these parades. What princess am I going to get? You know what I mean? Like it just was, I I thought I'd be grandfathered in to being Disney royalty since my sister had and when they handed me that index card, casting me as one of the three little pigs, I was like, I'm sorry, there must have been a mistake. But no, that's what I was supposed to be, fight for the pig. There's a great book, and I'm not sure if you've read it. And it's it's actually, I should have I should have thought of this before. It piggybacks so well off these topics because I want to Piggyback, does it? Pig- oh, oh, no, where, or, oh, you, I didn't even catch that. I know the title of today is punny, but um, no, the book is called Oh, I want to say it's Confessions of a Castmate. Have you read it? No, I've not. It's really great. It's about somebody who kind of flees from his his life, you know, back, I want to say it's Midwest, and he works for Disney. And mm-hmm. he finds out that his dad is terminal, and he doesn't want to acknowledge that. So he starts working as a photographer for Disney and works his way up to a character. Um, and, you know, he shares a lot of the things that I, you know... Um, I remember I I had heard you in an interview recently I watched after I read you about autographs and I mean just so many ways so many of the things that you talked about how you have to perfect an autograph and it's a fascinating book and it's it's a neat exploration of grief but while working at the happiest place on earth so Mm -hmm. I would recommend it. Um, Confessions of a castmate. I'm almost positive I'll I'll put the link in the bio for our episode and the 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 artwork is like the Disney glove with like the two fingers pointing. Oh or yeah. Cause you can't point with one no. finger. It has to be with two. That's right. It's Has your really daughter been to Disney yet? Have you guys oh, taken her? Six times. She's oh. not even six years old. So <laughs> we knew that the first couple of times were strictly for us. Yeah. Right. It was a selfish outing cause she was exhausted and sweaty and all the things. Um, but the last time we took her, she took everything in and her favorite character, at least not last year, but the years prior had always been the beast. And I just love that about her. Like, That's a beautiful. Was such an empathetic and beautiful yes. heart to love the beast. You no know? matter our appearance. Oh. That's right. That's right. Well, I would love to talk with you. So one of the things that I, I, I always am interested in the path not taken. And when I talk with clients, sometimes so many times I'll get asked the question, well, do I go this route or this route? And I'll go, 
that's not my job and that's not they're they're never going to say you have to go this route or this route the beauty of it is like that's that's the journey you know the free will you get to where you're supposed to be and right. i I'm so interested in your experience with the boy from Oz. Um, could you talk a little bit about that experience in terms of choosing between staying at Wicked, making the Broadway leap, and then do you ever go back and wonder, like, is picking was picking the boy from Oz what got me to who I am and where I am today? When I look back, um, I think, thank God I made the choice that I made. When I was in the thick of it, it was really hard for me, right? My ego got in the way, especially when I was not cast as the original Alphaba for Broadway, that it went to Adina and that they had come and said, we would love for you to be her understudy out of town in San Francisco, and then to be her standby once we hit Broadway. And I had always been a doer, um, not necessarily uh, readying myself to weight per se, at least that's how I defined it at the time. I was like, I don't think I can sit by or stand by or watch someone else uh, do the work. And at that point I had invested over two years working. I was very lucky to help develop in a very small way, help develop Wicked and Elphaba. And I'd fallen in love with the character and the piece. I'd fallen in love with Kristen Chenoweth and Stephen Schwartz. I'd fallen in love with the whole thing. And so I had already wrapped it up with a big red bow once we presented it to Universal Pictures and pretty much planned out the next five years of my life because of that reading yeah. and the response it got. And when it didn't turn out that way, to release control, to release the expectation and the timing of what I wanted, as opposed to what God and the universe and the master plan wanted was really hard. So I cried and I called everybody in jealousy and in anger. And this isn't fair, you know, a lot of lashing. Um, but when I silenced myself and I was like, this is the way to get to New York. This is the way to be part of a show. This is a way to integrate, uh, integrate into a community that I didn't know. Um, and that was difficult, but was right. Then when Boy From Oz came around, I never saw that one coming. So with Wicked, I had planted the seed. I thought I had watched it grown and I was gonna enjoy all of the seeds that I had sown. With Boy From Oz, it literally was a, what do I have to lose? Let's just go and sing for these directors that I don't know and producers I don't know. And then, okay, let's go to the callback and just dance and see what happens. And then it became, oh, a work session. This could really happen. But I never let myself believe that it could really happen. I was using it as an exercise in um, sort of my ferocity. I was using it as an exercise of let's just introduce my talents to these people in a new world. And when it came to the offer, I must admit, there was a sense of relief that I got to kind of show everybody on the Wicked team who had doubts or who um, misgivings that they couldn't risk this incredible, huge, expensive musical to an unknown who had never done a Broadway musical. And I thought, 
no, if I take the boy from Oz, no one's ever going to be able to say that to me again because I will have played a lead on Broadway. And whether that is the right decision for me. Now, I can't say that I made that decision on my own, right? I had agents and parents and everybody was counseling. Everybody had different opinions. But I must admit that most people had said, Wicked probably will be this huge blockbuster. And who knows what's going to happen with The Boy From Oz, but when you put Hugh Jackman and you playing Liza Minnelli and you're playing the female lead, you've got to say yes. And it could be scary. And again, it could be a risk on your part, but you got to say yes. And so I just took that to heart and took the leap and said yes. And then when I got on the plane, because I still had to go to San Francisco to complete the out-of-town tryout, I sat on the plane, I, I wept because I thought, what am I doing? What am I leaving? What makes me think that I can really give any sort of service or success to playing Liza Minnelli when she's still alive and still beloved? And this could be an absolute trap as my introduction to Broadway. And um, looking back, I'm glad I did it. Um, but I will say that I also believe in narratives, right? And so there was something that coming into Broadway, playing Liza Minnelli, set in stone my trajectory of what I always felt kind of being the second choice, the second choice, the second choice, the second choice. And that was true. I, I will not poor me, poor me. I'm looking at it with wide eyes. I'm looking at it with knowledgeable wide eyes, looking back at my career and knowing how lucky and grateful and blessed I was. But I was always the second until I wasn't. But it took a lot of time and it took a lot of convincing with myself and with the community at large. So am I glad that I made the choices that I made? Yes. I met my husband by saying no to Wicked on Broadway and taking Wicked on the tour. tour. I grew exponentially saying yes to Liza in ways that I may not have by being the standby for Adina um, in Wicked. So yes, yes, yes. But at the time in the murk of it all and the noise of it all, it was, it was, I mean, privileged because here I have Broadway show or Broadway show. So <laughs> poor me, poor me. But at the time, it really was like, how do I want to introduce myself to Broadway after working toward this goal of getting to a Broadway stage for 19 years? It took me 19 years to get to Broadway. Well, I always tell people, too, it's what you as a human being bring to the table. I, you know, I tell some of my students when they're debating what college do I go to, even if it's not an arts college, just like, I'm like, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's who you are. It's what you have in here. It's, and it's, it's what you have up here. And like, you know, I, I'm just thinking as you were talking, I was thinking about Shoshana Bean was a standby at one point in Wicked and gosh, look, I mean, look at her. I mean, just, I mean, I mean, everyone, I mean, there's, it's, that's why I will never say you have to go this route during a reading um, or, you know, that's, that's making the wrong choice. And speaking there's no clear path. And what's oh. that sentence, right? It's like, um, where you are is where you're supposed to be. Bingo. You just have to acknowledge it and take lessons from it and figure out, go toward your life, right? Don't just sit there and let life come to you. Make the choices, learn from those choices, and then move forward. And it's funny for me, when when I really started to go full steam ahead with with Stage Door Medium, I was I was terrified. I I had been doing readings for years, but never 
having a website, having something like this, where all of a sudden your your work in a way is is on display. Your your name is right. out there, and right. I I cannot even tell you. I mean, I cried. I, I I went through the same as you. I'm like, are are people going to? In a way, it's very much like coming out again, and you have to go. Right. Are people going to accept me? Are people yeah. going to write me off? And talk about getting to signs from the universe. Like the minute I put it out there, I mean, it was like, boom, 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 boom. And, you know, I mean, every, and, and it's not something that I take for granted every day. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. I mean, the fact that I'm sitting here now talking with you is, is a, is a million in a million years. I, I never would have um, envisioned that. And fun story for you, your Broadway debut was as an audience member. That was my Broadway experience. That was my first show. I will Boy, never forget balcony of the Imperial. And I remember when you came out that house, like shook during, wow. um, she loves to hear the music. And yeah. I, I remember as a closeted kid, there was, a, it's branded up here and I will never forget it. There was a line. I know, you know, it where, um, what was it? Was it Beth Fowler? Beth Fowler's on this side of the stage and Hugh's over here. And he says, I met someone. And she was like, that's lovely. What's her name? And, you know, he, he gives his name and there's this huge pause. And then she just says, well, that's lovely too. And to hear an audience erupt into like cheers and for this closeted gay kid that was like 14 years old to go like, oh my God, like there's, there's a place for everyone. And, you know, where I grew up in a small town and that I didn't know any other gay people so to see this moment acknowledged and celebrated was something that I will never, uh, I'll never forget. And you were just, ah, you were just incredible. And um, um, fun fact for you, Liza Minnelli, um, she's here, by the way. She is um, St. Liza, patron saint of Halston. Um, St. Liza of Halston. Um, yes, yes, yes. She's here. I did a reading for your, I want to say, second keyboard player. And in the boy from Oz, and her name was Corinne. Um, oh my gosh! Stephanie, did you know she was Eliza Minnelli decoy in the nineties? So I I'm, had no I'm reading her, and I'm like, "You look a lot like Eliza Minnelli." And she was like, "What's really funny is that she goes, I was paid in the nineties. You know, when Eliza, like, like I always think of her doing New York, New York, and the Red, and like at the pinnacle, she was like, they would pay me really well by the hour, and I would go out one door." And I would put on the outfit, the garb, the sunglasses, and the paparazzi would start to go here so Liza could have a quiet night. So oh she was God. on Liza decoy. Crazy. Yeah, I'm not much of a, a lookalike for Liza. Um, people say I look more like Lucy Arnaz, yeah. right? And I remember one, I, I have it by memory. John Simon, his review of me was, Stephanie J. Plock plays Liza Minnelli. She looks neither like Liza Minnelli. Oh, no, looks more like Lucy Arnaz than Liza Minnelli. She's neither a good Liza, Lucy, or even a Stephanie for that matter. <sighs> that's, Drats. that's like that review in the prom. Did you see the prom yet when they review? Not uh, no, not yet. When you see them review Meryl Streep or, you know, or Beth Level's character, it's, it's, it's hurtful. It's, oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's very hurtful. Oh. I mean, I still have it to memory. How many years later uh, we've, there's a gang of us that want to get like John Simon's um, reviews of us on t-shirts, but I think that would, <laughs> it, it doesn't benefit anybody. Well, I thought it, I thought it was beautiful and I will never forget being angry at you during the boy from Oz because I, I think every gay man was because during continental uh -huh. American, 
Hugh Jackman's at the piano. And I know you're, and at one point I'm like, oh, there's like, you know, Hugh Jackman's role in the head back. And like this man comes behind him and starts to open the shirt. And immediately Liza's like, like, Peter, what the hell? And I'm like, beat it, Stephanie. Like, get out, get the hell out of here right now. I'm like, continue. (laughs) To use my name again, I'm a bleep blocker, right? I totally blocked him at the party. I will never forget that moment. Like every gay man, just like you could hear the sigh, like get out of here, Stephanie J. Block. <laughs> well, all right. So I'd, I'd also love to talk to you about, oh gosh, um, the power of saying no. And I, I feel like in this interview that I had watched, you you had talked about during that time in The Boy From Oz, really starting to go, okay, I want to be more of a partner in the process and allow my voice to be heard. And especially now, I mean- I would imagine it's got to be overwhelming having, you know, with, with you being at this point in your life and your career, is it hard to say no? Like, how did you come to find your voice with saying no to projects, with speaking up and going, that's not how I feel about this or the character? It took me a long time. Um, it certainly didn't happen during Boy From Oz. It happened a little bit less with the word no and more with, again, choices. So after The Boy From Oz, I was offered to replace Adina, right, or take the national tour. And that was another tough choice. Do I get another Broadway credit or, and with that no to Broadway and yes to the tour, it allowed me to use my voice more, but just because it was from the beginning, I got to be in the rehearsal room again. I had a Glinda that was starting from um, scratch, Kendra Kassenbaum. We had Joe Mantello in the room and we got to create our storytelling of Wicked, still honoring what was existing and working on Broadway, but I wasn't plunked into a a well-oiled machine that was already happening on Broadway. So by saying no to Broadway, I was saying yes to creating, right? Um, And then little by little, I was using my voice a little more. I can remember in Anything Goes, because that was the first time I was really replacing, like the first replacement for Sutton. And I wasn't even replacing her. I was filling in. She was off to do a pilot and they needed me for only a month. But I knew that Sutton and I were similar in some ways, but really different in a lot of ways. And I had to just put my stamp on. And again, it wasn't a no to Kathleen Marshall or any creative decisions that had happened with Sutton. I just had to say, these are my strengths. Can we please play toward what works for me? A blonde wig will be tragic on your reno. I need to go red. I cannot do the splits. Can we do something else? I can only kick my face with my right leg. Now, I mean, all these little things that in my um, language and a respectful one at that, because I wanted to, again, honor what Sutton had done, what Kathleen had set for the show, but not set myself up for uh, disaster by just saying, yes, because I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I had to just change the language to where it was a, I don't think so, however. Mm. And it wasn't really until falsettos that James Lapine was inviting all of us to the table to allow us to speak to what we felt were the characters in this time, in this place, in this political climate. And then the share show really put a stamp on what that was and how I, as a woman, 
as an actress who have been doing this a long time, as someone who has uh, walked the walk of life in many different hats, whether that be, you know, a mom, uh, someone with great disappointment, someone with great loss, someone with great celebration. Once you have that life and those learned lessons and you can come to the table with experiences and speak to them, I think it works. I think if you say, this is why I believe, you can't just say, I don't want to, or no, that doesn't work for me. It needs to be no. And let me tell you why, or if you'll allow me to express why I think we should go another way. So it's learning the word no, but it's also learning how to finesse it and to explain it and to come from a place which I've been using this phrase a lot um, in this time of quarantine, coming to a place using inspiration rather than desperation. You will always be turned off when you're coming to anything with a desperation. But if it's coming from a place that's inspired, people will listen and will at least take it to heart. You may not always get the answer you want, but at least you'll have their attention and um, there will be a line of communication if you come with that, no, but let me tell you why, you know? And that's taken me a long time to get to. But I'm starting to know that unless it's a resounding yes, unless I am excited by an idea, that if I don't immediately say no thank you graciously, um, and maybe not always explaining why, the explanation needs to be deserved, if that makes sense. I hope it doesn't sound disrespectful. No, not at all. But if you've asked something and there's no spark, if there's no excitement, if there's no inspiration, then I think it betters both sides, the giver and the receiver, to just say, I don't think so. Thanks very much. And you're releasing yourself and you're releasing them. Because if you're begrudgingly saying yes, you're not going to help the other party to uh, reach whatever goal they're hoping to reach. So I have found that no is very freeing. And I have also found that when you are excited, the old improv saying of yes and is extremely freeing. But you have to want to say yes or else I got to tell you, if you don't tell the truth and tell it quickly, it really just becomes a prison. And that is in every respect of your life. I think the same goes with with mediumship. When I first started developing my abilities, there is a temptation to want to say, yeah, I'll read you on the spot. Because for some, you know, because it's popularized on, on television, I think for some people, it starts to become that of like a pony trick of like, well, who's here with me right now? Or what color am I thinking of? I'm I'm like, I'm not a mind reader. And I think there was always that temptation when you first start to go, yes, because I am a people pleaser. Like I want to do things that will make others happy. But I also find that like, I can't remember when I read you, you're like, aren't you tired? Because I had another one later in the day. And like, if I overdo or, and you said it best, you have to go into something excited. You have to go in. I went into yours with like so much excitement and, and every reading I go into, like, I'll start playing Shaka Khan in here or something just to get me to loosen up and remind me of like why I do what I do. And I I think, especially now that I'm, I'm being able to connect with some really incredible artists, there's still a temptation to want to fit as many as I can into the month because I'm excited to work with them, but I have to go, no, but 
I haven't, you know, at, at this point, like I'm booking into like the first week of February and I'm like, but I have this open and I would love to talk with you. And so again, it's, it's just no, however, um, but what I also loved about you and that I can see similarities is when you say trick pony, I think artists feel that a lot too. Oh, sing something. Sing. Oh, really? Like, you know, in chorus line, it's dance for grandma, yeah. dance for grandma. <laughs> well, I don't want to dance for grandma because what I do, I honor and I've trained a lot and it takes me time to prepare. I don't just show up at the theater at 7.30, put on fake eyelashes and red lipstick and I'm ready to go. Like, And I think the same with you. One thing that really touched me is that you showed me the notes and that took a lot of time, that took preparation, that took silence, that took prayer, that took connection. And so for people just to be like, hey, do it for us. Hey, you have the skill, make it happen. Well, no, it's not, you know, a, a punch a clock in and out. There's a lot of work and preparation that happens. And I really felt that from you. And that's why I think the reading was so beautiful. It was um, accurate. It was emotional. And because all that preparation allowed us to sit in the moment as opposed to fishing, yes. right? And and that makes a huge difference. And I always say, too, if you have a medium that's doing like giving you an answer before you even finish, finish the question, like get out of there. You know, right. there, there is no, I'm just going to say it. There is no medium that can give you an answer that quick. And when you talked about the no, because whenever I, I so dislike when you'll have a medium that will just say no or yes to the question, like any, anyone can do that. So rather if I'm channeling grandma right now, how would grandma have answered it? And so recently I did a reading for somebody and he was like, well, my sister didn't really come up a lot in the reading. And, but most of his questions were about finance, business development, land, like where he buys plots of land. And I looked at her, I go, do you want to step in? She goes, I knew nothing about that. She goes, <laughs> she goes, grandpa knew all about that. She goes, why the hell would I be talking about land? And I was like, do you understand this? Yeah. Yes. And he was like, yeah, my grandfather owned this business and knew everything about it. And I'm like, okay, so, th so th it's that's not it. that it's not that I'm just saying no to this or she's saying no, it, this is why. Um, yeah. So I'd love to, oh gosh, um, I'd love to also talk to, I guess, as long as we're there, do you mind, is there anything that you feel comfortable sharing ab about our time together, about our reading? Because yours was, yours was nuts. Like it's a rarity that I'll get like every letter of a name <laughs> and I was like nuts. yeah you got it all you immediately started um with Vic and or Nick yeah. right and my husband's father Victor had died just three weeks before so um and again Sebastian thanks you greatly you sent us an audio recording I played it for him in the car and he just there were several times he had to press pause and just let it marinate and he was so moved because of not just the accuracy, but the nuance and care, and then the flavor with which his father would speak, the oh. tone and the humor, right? The little yeah. sort of spicy, <laughs> fiery humor. Um, and that his place in heaven was the water because they would always sail together. Yeah. They spread his ashes. He said, yeah, I'm on the water. Yeah. Yep. Um, there was a lot of um, apologizing um, that made perfect sense to Sebastian and his family. There was a lot of, oh my gosh, we miss not being by our father's side. His sisters um, unable to be there at the time of oh, the yeah. passing, right? They came in from Uruguay and just missed it. 
you spoke about my grandmother and you said this is very odd, but the first thing out of her mouth was not pleasantries or any, it was jewelry. Mm -hmm. And it's because I wear her diamonds yep. every day of my life. And that is, I think, you also called her dignified, which I loved because my grandmother always wore on my mother's side, her grandma Marie, she was Italian. Uh, English was her second language. She couldn't really read English. She couldn't write. So she was very much one who wore silk blouses, hands in the lap, perfectly manicured hands, gold, 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 because that kind of was her, um, her way of saying, I belong here, her way of saying, um, I will find pride in who I am, even though I may not be a part of the conversation, I will sit here with a lot of dignity and I will listen and I will be attentive, but not necessarily you know, engage in the conversation because she couldn't most of the times. Yeah. So it was either jewelry or cooking with my grandmother. You spoke to um, one of my, well, he was my first love when I was in my teenage years and in my early twenties, Andy, who had yeah. passed tragically. So you said, I see up and I didn't, I didn't comment on that yet. And I said, yeah, it was tragic. And you see, not to be graphic, but you said, I see a lot of blood and he died in a car accident. He had diabetes. He passed out at the wheel of his car and hit a tree and died instantly. But it was quite, you know, um, graphic and tragic and bloody. Um, you spoke to my grandmother, Marguerite, who she wanted to speak really to my sister. She wanted to reach out to my sister um, about her her husband, yes. right? And him kind of taking a little more time and a little more focus uh, toward his family and, and at home rather than work, work, work. And you spoke, which I loved. Everybody who knows me or has received a uh, autograph from me, my handwriting is a sense of pride. I have beautiful penmanship. I was in all sorts of handwriting competitions. I'm just now teaching my daughter how to, you know, spell words, oh. write words. And my grandmother, Marguerite came through saying, I am so glad. And I appreciate how you're teaching Bibi how to write. And that is exactly so. I would sit at my grandmother's kitchen table and um, always writing my cursive, spelling words, always writing, writing, writing. And you also mentioned that you wanted to make sure you spelt my grandmother's name right or else she was going to get a little prickly with you. And that was very <laughs> true too. Like her name, Marguerite, was misspelled a lot and she always wanted to make sure that that was right. Yeah. So you hit on so many specificities that... I mean, I, I couldn't even uh, believe. I will, though, however, that you pointed out with me is that I am open. And so yeah. if I do come in contact with people who have the skill that you have, this sort of intuition and this connection to the divine, um, they will come to me and they'll say, hey, are you comfortable with, or uh, I can remember being in a dressing room by myself and our wardrobe, our assistant wardrobe guy, past my room and kept looking in. I was like, can I help you? And he's like, I feel like there are like nine people in here. I can hear people talking to you and it's just you. That has been brought to my attention a lot. The sort of gaggle of angels or spirits that are around me. Um, 
I walk feeling very safe, knowing that I'm protected. Of course, I take all of the earthly measures to protect myself, my family. You also mentioned that Andy is with me in the car before you knew it was a car accident, that he's my angel in the car. And that brought me to my knees because of course, of course he would want to protect me while I'm driving with my child or whatever. Um, But I'm also a believer not to bring in a sort of negativity, but yeah. I've also been raised and believed that where there is light, there is darkness. Where yeah. there is good, there is evil. Where there's positive, there's negative. And I find that to be a good thing. I find that to be a balance in all aspects of my life, right? So I know that if there are these beautiful spirits around me, informing me, giving me signs, protecting me, guiding me, that there will always be that temptation or there will always be that pull or and I have to acknowledge that there is the opposite the opposite side of that Um, and that helps kind of inform my day that helps me stay on course to the white light to the good to the God to the Christ conscious I always want to be talking to my angels and to God and praying even if it's not you know opening the Bible per se but there is a constant dialogue um and constant ingratitude. I just have to walk in gratitude because knowing that there is all this other darkness, sickness, negativity, if we can't look at all the gifts that we have, it's easy to be pulled into this kind of commiseration and this uh, sitting in the muck. And I can get myself there, but I refuse to sit there. I will not allow myself to sit there. And that only comes from gratitude and prayer and acknowledging all the light and beauty that I think we all have in our lives. We just have to pay attention to it. And that's what, and, 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 you know, and really quick, if you're listening at home, when Stephanie had mentioned that he, you know, when I saw blood during that does not, I I just have to clarify, it doesn't mean that he looks like that. Now they will go back to the nature of their passing. So just, just, just so I know. So for example, if somebody has a heart attack, I'm not going to see blood. So he was making extra sure that I knew that this was a very graphic when I felt this, um, if, for example, if it if it had been a suicide, I might have felt something up here. Um, even if it, you know, if it even if it might have been pills, they will still get me here. Sometimes this I knew. Like sometimes you'll see a car. Um, so by all means, if you're watching at home, I don't want you spooked of like, oh, like do people look like they're? That was just a hey. This is what it looked like at the time. And then to I, to def, to address what you said, of course, there's definitely yucky energy. Just because we we cross over does not mean that we were necessarily a good person. And I, I always say, that's why I start with a prayer. That's why I end with a prayer. That's why during it, I say, thank you. There is so much. And, and here's sometimes I'm asked, are you ever afraid doing a reading? No, n- never. Because like I, 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 I trust. I was not afraid either. I felt, as you mentioned, you know, you brought in all of the good. You invited all of the good. There was this cleansing. There was this almost like a fort without sounding airy fairy, a force field that I felt protected by. And um, no, it was all positive. And I'm grateful. I'm really grateful for that. And without giving too much away of, of what I do, because it's interesting, just like an actor, if I start to talk too much about my process, then I have to reinvent the wheel because it might not work for me anymore. But every time I do a prayer, I, I visualize me taking your hands. And then I just see like, 
fireflies that kind of go around us and then they start going faster and it's just white. And then I just see a light and I'm like, okay, we're good. Here we go. So yeah. I guess for a final topic to, to piggyback, you segued beautifully. You talked about getting in the muck and are there, this, I guess leads me to our final topic where we talk about wah, wah, blockages. Um, and <laughs> cause I've, I've encountered them and it's not that I've, it happens. Like we, we do it to ourselves. If, if we're going through a rough patch, if, you know, there's times where like, um, when I went through a breakup years ago, I could not read on anyone. And I was like, did I lose my ability? Is there something wrong with me? And I called my mentor and I'm like, can you help me? I'm like, is there, I'm getting nothing. I feel like I'm looking at a gray wall. And she said, you're meant to grieve right now. She was like, you're meant to be human. She was like, you are not meant to have one, you know, a couple toes on the other side. She's like, you are supposed to put yourself first. And, you know, every so often we'll have blockages and we'll have to remove them. So I didn't know if with self-care, like I booked a massage tonight, like I'm whooped. And I was like, I remember you talked about getting a massage and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to celebrate the fact that I'm interviewing Stephanie Block today that, you know, I've, I'm, I'm booked into a, like, and so I'm going to treat myself. And have there ever been times where you've had characters that you no longer connect with and what do you do about it? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, if I cannot find a nice chunk of myself in the script or the character, I, I do have a real hard time. I feel that most actors are exceptionally empathetic, right? So we can read a script or meet a person and put ourselves in their shoes. And I think that is probably the most beautiful thing that I love about artists and actors. That's what makes, I think, the best actor is going, okay, I'm going to shed myself and step into this person's shoes and really envelop myself in their journey, their pain, their triumphs. Mm -hmm. But if I also can't tap into a bit of me, a bit of my life, and it doesn't feel authentic. It feels like a costume that I'm putting on, but not one that I can necessarily bring to life that will then in turn touch people, change people, and, and, you know, vibrate with people. So if ever I can't really see myself in that character, I do feel a blockage. I feel a blockage, though, too, on the other side of the coin, when I'm too selfish, when it's me, 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 and I cannot um, envelop uh, another human soul or if I want to fix the character, which is very much me, I'll look at these beautiful characters that I want to sink my teeth into because they're flawed and there's so many life challenges and it's going to run the gamut in that two and a half hours of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows wow. and betrayal and all this stuff. But then if the character is not doing things that I necessarily deem for my life morally correct or um, gosh, why would she make that choice or whatever, they, and I want to fix them, Ooh, that's never going to work out for me. Longevity too, I'll be honest, right? There were plenty of times as Elphaba, when I finally took my last bow as Elfie, it was 2008. And I, in some capacity, had been part of Wicked for almost eight years. So the love was always there, but the freshness may not have always been there. So there were a couple times where I'd call stage management and say, hey, I'm calling out sick. 
sick of telling this story. And in order for it to be fresh for the audience, put on this amazing standby who is going to fly so much higher, (laughs) no pun intended, um, than I could tonight because I am, I'm just, I'm heavy and I'm not coming into the theater with gratitude. I'm coming in it with exhaustion and I'm being depleted and that's just not fair to the audience. Um, I do find though that if I am honest with myself and bringing in whatever the day brings to that storytelling, if I can infuse whatever happens outside of the theater and let that bleed into the character and the day, it's usually fresh and it will usually bring something really new, um, a different line rating, a tear to my eye on a song, uh, an excitement that hadn't been there before. Uh, because I do believe that theater is a living, breathing thing. It's not just the a retelling of the same story night overnight. It's a reliving the story night yeah. after night. And if you have a company, which I've been very blessed to, to tell stories with incredible actors and musicians, and um, if everybody's on board with bringing that freshness, even if half of them aren't, if there are two or three of us that feel fresh and invigorated, usually that can uh, beautifully infect the rest of the cast and bring it to a whole new place. And then your audience too. I mean, when I saw the share show, when you came out of the lift and you're like, uh, I'm going to try my best to do your share voice. Hold on. So you come out of the left. Let's see. You're like, okay, at ease, boys. Um, what you say something about? Um, I am a goddess warrior. It, like I was like everyone like shit their pants. Like when to see you come out of the lift. That was such a last minute genius by Rick Ellis. Who genius. Genius, who immediately thought we have to break the fourth wall right off the bat. We can't come at them as a a character saying lines. It needs to immediately reach out to them and say, are you on board for the next two and a half hours? This is who I am. Let's do this together. Because if not, it's going to be a very long night at the theater. And if so, it's going to be a really fun, raucous night at the theater. And that was all Rick Ellis. And it was genius. And I must admit, every night, whether someone came in late, whether someone would make a hoop, whether someone would, you know, you're not Cher or, oh my God, I love you, Cher. Whatever the response was in that moment, I would play off of and that would really get the ball rolling. And I absolutely loved it. Breaking the fourth wall when you're in a scripted show is truly one of the greatest joys because it's acknowledging them before, right? Before the curtain call, you're saying, I see you. I know you're there. Thank you for being there. Let's do this together. And once you invite an audience to do that, it's really special. That's why I like doing solo concerts. It's just acknowledging them as being part of the evening and being part of the art form. And I think when you acknowledge anybody and say, thank you, we're in this together, it's a whole different investment and it takes it to a whole different level. Well, God, I mean, it's still branded up here. I remember when you are going back, you know, and the, and the three of you start to sing Turn Back Time again, that gorgeous harmony on You'd All Stay, yes. the change of the lyric, and you're like, oh my God, like we just now know what we're, and then you say, you know, let's do this, bitches. And like, <laughs> all why this, do you know the script so well? I because, mean, you know why? Because your performance branded it up here. I remember something about you saying how tired you were at one point when you were in my favorite outfit, you were in the denim. And, mm-hmm. and then, 
there's one more moment that I remember the lights coming up and just in tears. Um, it was the end of act one you know, with song for the lonely and just, I, I really quick. And then I promise we'll wrap up. I, I do have to ask, did you have a hand in crafting in saying, I think there should be three shares because there's something so deeply to me spiritual about that choice of calling on our future self our past self, our present, because I'm a firm believer that there are times when like we can't, when we're not strong enough to, oh, I don't want to get emotional about, but when we're not strong enough to do something on our own, in addition to our loved ones on the other side, we call on like different parts of our highest and best self to help us through. And I remember, I will never forget seeing that hand go out to one of the shares and then you got her up and you know, you guys just start walking toward the light at the end of act one. And that's why I remember these things so well. I mean, did you have a hand in, in saying, let's have three? I wish I would have. Um, this device was completely all Rick Ellis, but it was the device that made me say yes. It was genius. Because I had played Liza Minnelli, I thought I had done this process. I know what this looks like artistically. I know what a challenge it is. And when it works, it's very gratifying. But when it doesn't, it is um, detrimental to the artist, to the individual. Mm. And when I kept saying no, no, no to this role, thinking that I had already experienced artistically what this looked like, uh, it was Jason Moore, a director who said, I wanna take you to dinner and I wanna explain to you what this looks like because it is storytelling on a, on a spiritual level and those that will get it will get it hard and it will hit yeah. them hard. And both he and I are advocates of therapy. And so when he was explaining what this looked like, I was like, Oh my gosh, I was just with my therapist who I was bringing up things from my past. And my therapist said, I have to ask the 12 year old you to sit in a chair over there because we're not, this is an issue we can look at later, but this 12 year old girl is so hurt that I'm not going to be able, we're not going to be able to do the work we need to do this afternoon if I'm talking to her. So go tell her to sit in that chair and tell her we're not ignoring her. We'll get back to her. And this, I mean, not to make this a therapy session, but this goes back to my narrative as a grown woman and an artist of always feeling second best. It goes back to this 12 year old human being who looks in the mirror, even still today as a 48 year old woman and still sees remnants of this preteen's pain and all that. And that's what the share show was. Yes. And so that's what sold me. It wasn't necessarily all the glamour of share, all the, although I did come to love all of the things that made share share. Sure. I was able to see all the things that made me me and all the pains in the younger me and the middle me and the older, the journey that I wanted the older me to take. And it wasn't until I fused both of those that this piece made sense to me. So I wish I would have had more of a say in crafting it, the crafting it was already there, but I do want to take a little bit of ownership of how it was presented because the only way I wasn't blocked and I was able to live freely within this boundary of being someone else was to start embracing, we called it sherapy. Mm -hmm. We were having sherapy talking to all of our different selves at these different chapters in our lives and i found great solace in that as a as a stephanie as well as a share and now it's time for some last minute questions this one's okay. just for you so you worked at disney as a bell but now as an adult what's your favorite disney ride to go on oh wow it's still it's a small world does that say a lot about me really 
I love it. I... And let me tell you why. Yeah, because why? Because there's a backstory to It's a Small World. That whole display was by a woman animator named Mary Blair, who was so tortured. So she was a drunk. She was beaten by her husband. And she wrote, it's a world of laughter, a world of tears. That ride is super, super complex. And she was trying to unify the world. She was bringing her pain to something that we see as being so easy 15 minutes of just sitting in this boat ride that has no ups and downs but it was created in such pain and turmoil and I find such beauty in the the complexity of it when all it looks like as is this childhood nothing and it's really deep so there you go do you have her book there's there's the work of Mary I'm a big fan of the engineers like Mark Davis is one of my favorites and um and I are trying to write uh, um, something about her in the complexities. And, you know, the saying is, right, when people, I'm going to muck it up, but when people are looking for magic, they go to Walt Disney. When Walt Disney is looking for magic, he goes to Mary Blair. And that is like, most people don't know who she is. And I think her story should be told. I wonder if that's what I was talking about during the reading. I talked about a passion project on the side. Um, Another book I'd recommend too, really quick, is there's another Disney artist. Um, the book is called Woman from the Black Lagoon, and it's about a Disney artist named Millicent Patrick who worked for Disney. She trained there, and then she was uh, she created the creature from the Black Lagoon. And because it was a male-driven, sexist industry, um, they, white, they erased her from everywhere. So it wasn't until recently they realized this woman created all of these incredible things so i'll send you the link it's good and again all these dark characters right send me the link send me the link it's good. for sure couple final ones um well i don't believe in it if you were stuck as a ghost in the theater for all of eternity and you could only watch one musical over and over what would it be oh golly that is a stumper that's a stumper <laughs> um lately gonna say once on this island for me right now once on this island over and i always get something new out of it being a mom has led me to hear different things uh what michael arden did with it this last revival was magical and beautiful and and sat it was all the things in that moment so i think i could watch that over and over and over i agree that's a first for once on this island but i've seen it a couple michael ardens a few times and it's 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 good oh god it's up here forever um what character that you play do you think would benefit the most from a medium? Ooh. Um, I'm going to probably say uh, Fanny Bryce. I think, again, another woman with a lot of pain and a lot of insecurities, but used her humor. But I think there was a lot of her past that, you know, the lack of having a father, a lot of her past that um, she might have been haunted by. And if she could get some of these answers, who knows if she would have still been the artist that we've come to know and revere, but she might have benefited from that. And then um, if you could time travel and originate a part, what would it be? I just answered it Fanny. Fanny <laughs> for uh, sure for sure yeah. same here same here actually I just had a uh, a fur on a couple nights ago and I was like hello gorgeous hello, gorgeous hello. yeah I mean could I do the just at the Barbara no yes. but if we're looking at the the pause of time space continuum and I could be in that moment in 1964 uh, 
Well, know. revival, Broadway revival with Stephanie Block. Well, and then finally, know. many, many, many bajillions of years when we're no longer here, how would you want somebody to look back and remember Stephanie J. Block? Hmm. Um, that I was generous of spirit and that I was honest and that I made people feel good about themselves when they were around me. Well, I can vouch to that. If you're watching at home, I met her years ago in the big old elevator of the Gershwin Theater, which they can put a truck in if, if you didn't know that. And I remember I ran into you, starstruck. And... Slow, slow. If you were running late for work at the Gershwin, right? you were in the water. It yeah. took a while. And I remember I ran into <laughs> you and, you know, I... I Gosh, I remember you took my hand and I just said, your work was so beautiful today. And you took my hand and you're like, be well. And then after I, it's, look at what, what is this? Like 12 years later, it, it's, yeah. it's still here up here. And I can attest to that, that your, your, your work makes a difference. And we're all the luckier for, for knowing your work. And so I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. This is very special to me. When I went Thanks. through many tough, tough times years ago, I would always listen to shine like the sun and I would always identify and and then and then when your album came out I was assistant managing a Starbucks I used to play it I would break the rules and I would plug it in and people were like who is this while you're like belting making good and I was like oh it's a new um jazz artist um that that's on the Starbucks playlist and people were like cut it right we I'm like I know it is be quiet be quiet thank you for that I appreciate it well thank you I I wish you a Beautiful, happy 2021 with all good things coming. And I will talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. All good for all of us. Be God. well. Be well. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. I want to thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you want to learn more about Stage Door Medium, please feel free to give me a follow at Stage Door Medium on Instagram, stagedoormedium.com, and on YouTube, Stage Door Medium as well. I hope you're well, and we'll see you soon.